0: And he said, but if I don't buy a house right now, I truly believe that the door is going to close on homeownership for my whole generation within 10 years. This is the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, download, and leave us a comment. Today, I'm here with my good friend, Ben Sprague. Hey, Chris. Dude. Glad to be here. Glad to see you, man. Like you were saying, it's it's been a little while. I know. It's been a few weeks. Figured we would kill two birds with one, so we would catch up and have a conversation. But no, Ben, your story is, is really... Amazing. And when I thought about doing this, I call it money hole and we're still trying to figure out what that means. But for (laughs) me, what it means for me, what it means is money is a part of being a wholehearted human. And like, and I know your story, I would like to hear it in a minute, but one of the things you and I have learned is that when it comes to money, people run to extremes. They either deny it and they Mm. think it's evil. Yeah. Um, or they think it's the ultimate, uh, place of happiness. If you have an infinite amount and it's definitely part of everyone's life. And yet we don't talk about it enough. And because of the industry I've been in and, and what you do, um, I just, I knew that this would be a great opportunity for you to tell your story, you know, so for people watching, I would love you to just, you know, tell people who you are, what you do, and then, you know, how you grew up specifically with your earliest memories of your feelings and belief systems around money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. Um, my name is Ben Sprague and I I'm born and raised here in the Redding, California area. And I've been married for almost 22 years to my amazing wife, Nicole, that, you know, and I have three incredible kids and uh, we just have the most amazing life every day. I just can't believe like where I've been, where I am now. Um, I'm just filled with gratitude Um, so I love being in Reading. I love this area. I actually, I work in real estate full-time as a real estate agent. And, uh, that's, that's what I do. In fact, just before I got here, the reason I'm late today is I was showing properties Mm -hmm. all day. And, um, so it's very demanding as you know. Um, but I also pastor a small church on the side that you're a part of, and I love being a part of that. But, uh, So that's what I do, and and being born and raised here, I was I was born into an amazing family, Um, but one of the things, and and I really kind of a like you were talking about, sort of like a pendulum swing when it comes to money and my perspective on money. Yeah, and I've seen that several different times in my life. Where like when I was a kid, the the number one rule was debt is the enemy because my parents were in debt, and so I remember it it felt like every few months there was like a blow up of some sort of financial thing with credit cards or or some sort of hole that they were in with money. And so all that I knew growing up was, was you got to stay out of debt. Yeah. I hated having junky cars. I hated it. It was, I've got story after story of embarrassing moments where I was just like, you know, I, I was walking to my car and there was like a hot girl in the parking lot and I'd pretend I was, Gonna go into the car <laughs> next to next to my car and then just quickly jump into my car. Like, uh, uh, it, what kind of car was it? It was like this ginormous Ford LTD, nineteen seventy seven. It was like the size of a. It felt like the size of a football field.
0: Yeah, my first car was a Chevy Astrovan, so <laughs> and with primered primer a primered hood. So,
1: yeah, but uh, it it was just one of those one of those worlds. And growing up in the eighties, yeah. right? Like you if you wanted money you wanted shoes you wanted fancy shoes michael jordans whatever you had to go work for it you had to get a paper route at 9 years old or mow lawns and and so the number one thing was stay out of debt and i kept that all the way through college and uh when i when i got out of college i i made it through college got my degree without going into any debt but really what what was crazy about it is i got married right out of college and our first Christmas together, I was going to buy Nicole a cell phone. That was back when cell phones were all the rage, (laughs) these newfangled phones that you can carry around with you. And um, it was remarkable to me that I could not even qualify to buy her a cell phone because it had no credit. Mm. And so then I began to realize you in this world, you, you need to have some debt. And I, I started to realize that there's a system and there's people that understand this system and there's people that don't understand. Yeah. I didn't understand it. Yeah. Uh, but from there, we went to Santa Barbara County. We were there for 12 years um, working out. And, and I had a lot of friends that were very affluent and they knew how to work this system. And so the pendulum swung the other direction where I got to be around people who had a ton of money. Yeah. And I saw the value of their lives, just the, the significance of their lives. It, it was just so petty. Mm-hmm. And I would see just the emptiness of it. And so the pen- pendulum swung <clears throat> in a different direction. And uh, so there was a, probably in my 20s and early 30s, money was sort of the the devil. Yeah. And yeah. it was sort of the enemy.
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's so interesting because a lot of people don't realize the effects that debt and money have on their lives because they were born into it. Mm-hmm. And so it's they don't know what they don't know, and it's th- it's the norm that they have, and until they're exposed to a different way, which you said you were from these people, yeah, that could be good or bad. Yeah. Um, we all have good and bad experiences. They don't see a different way. So, at what point for you, you know, because part of your story is like, and you shared this, like you and I met through Josh Barker mm-hmm. at first, and and then and now we're part of a church plant together. And I tell all my friends about our church plan. I, it's such an amazing thing. It's a small, it. yeah. small group of super powerful people. Um, but you, out of college, you also were a pastor and you spent some time in India. Mm-hmm. So how did, like, walk us through, like, from from the point of
1: college, getting married, how did you get to India? You know, it really came down to uh, the least, the last, and the lost, and I think it was part of one of those pendulum swings with my, uh, you know, with the community we were in comfort and security were the number one thing. And I began to see the emptiness of that. And And I think if you look at our American culture, you look yeah. at our world right now, what's the number one thing it's safety, yep. it's security, it's wealth, it's, and for some people, wealth is just a security system. Yep. Um, and I don't think that's really a great way to look at wealth. I think, you know, um, and what began to change in me as I started to realize, wow, life is about taking calculated risks. Life is about living. Life is about doing what matters. And so the least, the last, and the lost became something that was really important to us. And so we it, it was probably a five-year process while we were in Santa Barbara County that we decided, you know what, let's let's start looking for people who are on the margins. Mm-hmm. And so we went to India with a business visa. To help impoverished Muslims get on their feet using using business as a way to bless yep. families, and so it was sort of that bridge, and um and it was I mean it sounds way more impressive than it was, uh, it's still going on the little ministry that we started. We yep. have a couple people that are still doing it. Um, started several different businesses, but it was all really small, and most of the businesses failed because we <laughs> didn't have a clue what we were doing. Yeah, but we tried and we tried something, and uh, so that felt great. Yeah. But what, uh, while I was there, that's when I really began to realize what wealth is about, Mm -hmm. because the only reason we were there and the ways that we were able to really make a difference was because there were people that used their resources for bigger things. Yeah. Yeah. It was significant, and uh it was to make people greater and that's I mean honestly like you know my my cheesy name for my business greater life realty, but that's really I feel like that's my calling is better means it benefits you, greater means it benefits those around you mm-hmm. and and so that's when I began to realize that wait wait a minute, like if you're a person of faith god God has a plan for wealth, and wealth has a lot more to do with like your bank account and it has a lot more to do with your security and you know, how much of a buffer you have in your bank account. It it has to do with what are you doing with it? Like, who are you affecting with it? And um, so that became my passion. And so when I came back to the States, it was like 2016 or something like that. um, That was in the back of my mind is having businesses that multiplied ministry opportunities, Mm -hmm. having businesses, having a way to to accumulate wealth but also a way to help people accumulate wealth and not mm-hmm. just like money in the bank but genuine wealth where where you're making people great around you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we I think one of the things you said that's so important is is purpose. Hmm. And I I I when when people have a lot of resources, wealth, money and they don't have purpose, that's that's a dangerous place to be and you know if you think about anyone who has ever given you know modeled stewardship in a way that was attractive to you mm-hmm. i bet you anything it's because they had a massive purpose that was driving them in life and they just so happened to also have wealth and i i think that's such a key thing for people to hear because You know, you look anywhere on Instagram, YouTube right now, there's so many people driving Lamborghinis, showing these lives of lavish. Yeah. And a a lot of people are very attracted to that. Mm -hmm. And I think what most people know is that you're not getting the whole story on that 90-second clip. And what I've always liked about some of the guys I run with, including Fab, who we were just talking with, is – when people have that purpose in their life, which doesn't always mean you're going to have wealth. I mean, you did not have wealth when you were in India or when you got back. It's still debatable, <laughs> <Yeah>. honestly. <laughs> but you have wholeness. You have, you know, and you know what you want and you have mm-hmm. purpose in your life. And yeah. But you also, at some point, learned that money and creating wealth is definitely an important part of it. Mm-hmm. And that you, from what you shared, you knew that you needed to d- develop skills there because you didn't have them. Yeah, And so at what point did you start changing your mindset money? Wait a minute. Money is not evil. Mm -hmm. It's, it's important. And what was your process for going after mentors and finding
1: people to try to figure out how to change that? Yeah. I think, I think part of that was when I was, was introduced to the world of real estate. Real estate was always in the back of my mind. Like I always managed properties or owned properties and that was just something that I, maybe it was a grace of God that I got into. And that's really been a huge source of wealth for us. And I think that was part of it in, in being around that world and, and meeting you, being surrounded by Josh Barker and, and high level people who've done well, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to surround myself with better people Mm -hmm. than me. And, and really like the truth is you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Yep. And for me, I wanted to have friends that were better than me, that what are the ways in which I want to grow? I want to have friends that are like killing it in that area. Yep. And so I, I just began to pursue that. And, uh, I, I began to see what was possible. Um, and, and it became something that I was excited about. And then, but my whole vision and purpose was always to help people become greater, to help, to help people. If you're going to talk in terms of like, the Bible. Like I want to make disciple makers, not just disciples. I want to make people like great yep, and uh, affect the people around. And yep. that's what I'm about. So, um, that's what I've been trying to do for the last, you know, five, five years or so is just to really surround myself with, with people that I want to be like. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: That's so good. <clears throat> I, I think a lot of people, I'll speak for myself. You know, you look at people who have what you want in life Um, you know, like Josh Barker, I mean, we've mentioned his name. Josh has been a friend of mine for a long time. And, um, I just, he, you know, I see the same things in him that you do. And, and I think one of the things that you learn when you pursue people like that is, and no offense, Josh, if you see this, (laughs) it's not, it's not because they're talented. Hmm. It's because they, they found people who gave them skills Mm -hmm. and they, they saw patterns if you do this this way, this is the fruit of that, good or bad. And they, they, they pursued those things. And, you know, that's, that's always been something that's not only helped me, but it it makes it a lot easier to become friends with people who are successful because so many people are insecure. Yeah. You know, they look at a guy like you or whoever else and they're afraid because they think that they're better than them or there's this insecurity. And the only difference between you Josh or anybody else, Rick Ruby, who we'll talk about in a second, and he, and he really tells us this very clearly, is that they had mentors, they developed skills, and they worked really hard. At yep. Once they got those skills to get where they're at, they definitely failed a lot, and they made course corrections along the way. So, I I brought up Rick Ruby. I, I want to talk about the core. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be really fun because, you know, you and I are both in the same coaching program. I often refer to it with my friends and here. And it's such a peculiar group. It's a it, when I explain it to anybody, it's it's almost hard to describe. But um, you <laughs> why know, why would they want to be part of something that? It crazy? sounds like a yeah. cult. It does. honestly, yeah. it's really bizarre. But yeah. you know, this is a group of real estate agents and mortgage professionals around the nation who get coached. And we have a, a leader of our group. His name is Rick Ruby. He's been doing this for a long time, and there's. Probably about four to five hundred members in the group, and there's maybe six or seven hundred that are in the mm-hmm. some of the other levels of the group. And we have two events a year. And so, early in our relationship, you know, when you went out on your own to become an independent, you came to an event, and I didn't know what you were going to think of it. I was like, because you know, it's it's different. And yeah. I, I, but I love to just hear what your experience with the core is and, you know, see if we can talk about that for a while. Cause it's definitely a huge reason why we're both sitting here today.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me and and the secret sauce of the core and why I do it, it's, it's a ton of money, by the way, costs a lot of money, super expensive. And they look at my finances every single month. I hate that. It's like, I'm just naked. It's five grand a month. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And, uh, but I think the secret sauce for me was that idea. And I know this about myself. There are some people that could get better by their own on their own. I'm not one of those people. I need accountability in every area of my life, especially the ones that I want to grow on. Mm -hmm. I'm like an addict, you know, when it comes to like diet and and exercising and whether or not I'm going to make my calls and do my work and do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I'm just like water. I'm going to take the path of least resistance. So I needed a community that was going to try to sharpen me going to, you know, invade my space going to make it uncomfortable. And that's one of the things I love about the core is it's just not, it's not comfortable. Right. Like yeah. how, how often are you called out? Always. Yeah. I, I just yesterday I had a call and I was like, Oh yeah. And uh, it uh it's just one of those things that I love. I love the accountability, but I, they genuinely care about me. Mm-hmm. I love that. I can I can call these people, and these are huge, very successful, wealthy people, and I have their cell phone. Yeah, and they care about me. They know my name. I, I just went to a Giants game with with one of my core buddies, and it was amazing. Like yep. just the uh, the relationships that are formed. So, a lot of people try to make changes on their own, and you know what that's like. It just doesn't usually stick. Relationships are what is transformative. Yeah. And let uh, take it back to you show me your friends. I'll show you your future. I wanted friends that were making a difference in the world. And so that, that was the secret sauce for the core for me.
0: Yeah. The core really helped me understand discipleship in a way that mm, I didn't yeah. before, because being in the church, I'd heard that term thrown around so much and I never seen it modeled super well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, For lots of reasons, I mean, it's 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 not hard to do life. It's not easy to do life with people. Yeah, it it, it's a sacrifice, you know. And and the core was this one place where I saw the power of people coming together and sharing it all and talking about everything. And 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 it's in a business space, which is you know bizarre. You know, it's right. You don't usually see that. You see a lot of ego. You see a lot of flash. You see a lot of bragging. Yeah, and. And I didn't want anything to do with those types of groups uh-huh. when I, when I was looking for coaching. And so when I found them, I remember, you know, hearing Rick for the first time and, you know, here's this guy who is, you know, incredibly wealthy, you know, a hundred million dollars right now. And yet he calls himself a blue collar millionaire. Mm-hmm. And he, 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 we were on a call the other day and he literally looked at us. He said, you guys want to know why my marriage is good. And Mm. I have such a good life. And he said, because I still know that I'm not anybody. He's like, I'm not. Yeah. Like, and the moment you start thinking you're somebody, that's when, that's when you start having problems. And I just really appreciated the groundedness of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet they had the best approach to building businesses, to taking great care of people. And then once you start getting the fruit of that, which was the missing component of most coaching groups. Here's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. You live below your means. You're generous. I mean, I think we gave away as a group, what, $10 million last year to I think charity? 20 something. Twenty something it was. Like 20-something, 20-something, yeah. It was yeah. twenty something million dollars that a group of five hundred people gave to multiple charities throughout the nation. So it's a powerful group of people. And I talk about it all the time because I'm a lifer there. And I mean it's it's radically changed my life. And mm-hmm. um, you know, these guys have become some of my close friends. So I'm I'm so glad you're there. Um so one of the things that I thought it would be fun to talk about is what is it what have you gotten out of being a real estate agent a pastor and now being in the core that you see as value that you're now adding to the lives of the people around you and I don't just mean clients or people at church but I know that you're you're like me you're a conduit you know that if you learn something the best way for you to actually keep it is by giving it away to other people, and so unpack that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I've I've really enjoyed learning that that's transferable into all those things is is life balance, mm. and life balance really comes from being accountable. You know, I I always like hated systems. I always I, like I resisted order and systems. I I loved having freedom. I thought it was freedom is actually chaos. Mm-hmm. And I thought I just thrived in the chaos. And I actually like, there was some fruit there, but what I'm finding is I actually, the more I, I submit and like surrender to systems and order in my life, the more freedom I actually have. Yeah, And that's, that's with finances, that's with eating and and weight management and and exercise, it's with my relationship with my wife, yeah. having a, every Friday night, you know, having a date night and time with my kids. Like, I mean, you know me and you know my life and and I work hard cause I'm building up my business. I'm not in the same position as, as a lot of people, but, but I feel like I have such life balance and that only comes from, from accountability mm-hmm. and from allowing people to like pick apart. Yeah all of these things that I'm so self-conscious about, yep. you know, it doesn't happen any other way. Yep. I wish it did, but for me, it doesn't.
0: Yeah. It's having that nothing is off limits perspective with the friends around you. Like mm-hmm. you can ask me about anything and I hope you do. And you know, I've been doing that for so long and I'm not bragging that sometimes I forget <laughs> that that's not how most people live. Yeah. yeah. You know, most people don't talk about the things you and I talk about. I mean, when you and I have conversations about business, I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for you to ask me a really tough question. And I'm like, man, thank God for this, man. Mm-hmm. This is the life I've always wanted. I've always wanted to have a life where I have people around me that not only make me better, they're fun to hang out with and they ask me hard questions because we have the same values. Yeah. And they want to see me thrive. They want to see me be a good husband, a good dad. They want to see me taking care of my body. They want to see me doing the right thing when no one's looking. They want to see me doing the right thing with the gifts that I've been given. And that is accountability. Yeah. And I don't I don't know any other way now. And so when I talk to people that they they think that it's freedom not to have accountability, they're wrong. <laughs> you can't convince me any other way. Yeah. Because I just I, I don't see it anywhere. I think that if people don't have some form of accountability in their life, anything they do is going to be short lived. And and you know, I I think a lot of us measure people by these different metrics. Like this guy has a lot of money, therefore he's successful. But how many people have you and I known over the years who had a lot of money? but they had a secret in their life that ended up destroying their life and burned the whole thing down. Yeah. And so, so yeah, the accountability thing is huge. And I think that when we're talking to clients, you and I work with a lot of the same clients. That's something that I think separates a lot of people in business from their competition is that they're willing to ask hard questions Mm -hmm. with their clients. You know, I, I was definitely afraid for example, I was so afraid to start asking my clients, do you do a personal family budget? I just had this belief system, I guess, that that's private. I don't need to ask that question. They came to me for a home loan. That's all I need to do is give them a home loan. Right. But the moment I started crossing those personal lines with my clients was the moment my business completely changed. Mm. you're not, you're no longer a commodity. Yeah. You're no longer just another salesperson. You're someone who genuinely cares about them, And people feel that right there. Even if it makes them feel uncomfortable, if they know that you have their best interests in mind, it changes the relationship. Don't you agree?
1: Oh yeah. I, I think the same thing with me is going through a a wealth accumulator with every single client, whether you're a seller or a buyer, I sit down with you. I, I just did this with an older couple. Yeah. That's pretty much retired. And I still went through it with them just because I want them to know that, that like their wealth matters to me. And it's not just, I want to help you buy a house or sell a house. Like I want to help you accumulate wealth and wealth. It it means more than just the money in your bank account, but it means like wealth means freedom. Wealth means significance. Wealth means, um, being greater and having a home. Having a home That's is so huge, important right now, one of those first steps towards that, yeah, yeah.
0: and it's maybe more important now than ever before and i'd mm-hmm. like to talk about that you know we're living in a time right now where we we have inflation mm-hmm. and levels we haven't seen for forty years, you know people are struggling yeah eighty uh, percent of America lives paycheck to paycheck, and the the housing market that everyone thought would crash—it's proving to be very resilient. Yeah, you know, there's 14 million more households today than there was in 2007, mm-hmm. and yet the difference between 07 and today is there's only 700,000 homes nationwide. Is it down to 700,000 yeah. now? Yes, wow. there was 4 million back then. Hmm. So people are are now starting to understand that. Wait a minute, there's not enough homes to rent enough homes for sale. And there may never be. And I don't know if that's true, and I hope it's not. But I'll tell you, yesterday I had a client who was in his 50s buying a house. He's a scientist who makes a a high six-figure income, buying his first house. Hmm. And he said, the reason I'm buying a house is because if I don't do it now, I don't know if I'll ever be able to again. He said, I had a home in contract six years ago, but I backed out because I got scared last minute. Hmm. He said, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I'm listening to a story, and I'm thinking to myself: Here's a guy who's probably an incredible. Uh, he's he's a scientist. He's very smart. He's gone to school. He's he's a he's a professional. Mm-hmm. But like so many people, this super important aspect of his life, money, he never paid any attention to it,
1: hmm.
0: and and he didn't have people around him telling him how important it would be for him, and so you know he didn't even want to add up the amount of rent he spent over the years. The same day, a guy told me about his son who just graduated high school in Sacramento, or sorry, uh, college, who's trying to buy a house, and he's a millennial and he's a smart guy, works for a tech company, and he told his dad, "I'm trying to buy a house right now. It's really hard. Sacramento's exploding right yeah. now." And he said, "But if I don't buy a house right now, I truly believe that the door is going to close on homeownership for my whole generation within ten years." Now, again, I'm not saying that that's true, and I yeah. truly hope that it's not, but I think that the importance right now for people to get their finances in order and to realize how, how much a car payment affects their lifestyle <laughs> or having revolving debt when they go to buy a house, I think it's so important, and I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing that I see all the time is, is people that are just listening to the white noise you know, in the news is, I mean, how, what percentage of news is bad news? Like hundred percent. Why is that? It's because ratings, right? Good news, fluff. It's not going to, people don't watch that. People watch the train wreck. People watch the, the high speed chase. And so I think people hear so many, you know, just white noise. It could be their neighbor saying, oh, interest rates are so high. And it is tough right now. But as you and I know, getting into the market, You know, you, you marry the house, you date the rate, right? How often have you said that over the last six, six to nine months? I have too, because if you have a great house that you can afford, get into the market and just let, let the housing market take it from there. A great lender is going to refinance you automatically once, once things change. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I'm working with somebody now we have a mutual client together and she's a single mom of three amazing woman. She's, she's, she owns her own business and she's terrified in buying a home right now because it's going to be a huge gulp, a huge pill to swallow. Yep. But she understands this is the first step in actually changing the dynamic, the generational dynamic she's had her whole life and, and giving a new future to her sons and, mm-hmm. and actually accumulating real wealth. Yep. And if she can find a way to just hang on. And and that's with a lot of people, millennials generation Z. If you can get into the housing market over time, I mean, you know that in the last 40 years, I think only five years in the last 40, the housing market nationwide has gone down. That means 35 times in the last 40 years, the, you know, it, appreciation. So is pretty good away. stats. It's pretty good stats. I'd play that game at the, at the casino. At the, yeah. The roulette table. Yeah. 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 Um, and so you know that that the return is going to be there, and I think a lot of people also don't realize, like the cost of renting is a lot more than just the rent you pay. Mm-hmm. People think I'm paying twelve hundred dollars a month in rent. Are you though? If you look at if you monetize your missed opportunities with appreciation, yeah, and tax benefits and all the different incentives that you have as a homeowner, it's it's usually way more than what mm-hmm. you think it's usually around renting. It's probably three to $5,000 a month is what you're paying to rent.
0: Yeah. Think about all the people that, and this is, this is no uh, jab at Dave Ramsey. He does some great things, but think about all the people that were waiting till they had their 20% down. Mm-hmm. So they could do their 15 year loan right in the last 10 years. Yeah. On the Dave Ramsey program. Like that, that's probably one of the biggest missed opportunities right there. Right. And There's some influencers, some millennial influencers on Instagram. They just put a video out and they're financial uh, influencers. They got a ton of followers. And the video was why we are renting and waiting for rates to go down to buy our house. And, you know, the thing that people have to understand is that if we already have a market where there's less homes available than the people that need to buy them. I mean, I hear about it every day. Yeah. Tons of houses. That are getting multiple offers on them. What happens when interest rates go down? Well, that demand is going to simply go up. It's the law of supply and demand and it's a law. Yeah, it is. I would love to see rates go down. There's nothing more that that I would love to see than people get a more affordable payment. I remember back in 2011 and 12, I was doing FHA loans on $70,000 homes here in Shasta County. Hmm. People were buying a house with no money down or very little down and their payment was five, 600 bucks a month. Hmm. And the further we get away from that, Ben, I, I <laughs> gotta be honest with you. I'm believing that that was a time in history that will never come back. Hmm. I just don't see it, how it could ever happen, you know? So, so yeah, it's really important for people to really understand the pros and cons of buying a home. But one of the things that I, I love about what we've learned through the core and through our mentors is when people come to us, they're not really coming to us to buy a house. Mm-hmm. They're coming to us to learn how to accumulate wealth and why it's so important to get into real estate as an asset class, because it's one of the only asset classes that the middle class can purchase with a such a low amount of their own capital, where yeah. the bank takes most of the risk, that they can get not only get appreciation in over a relatively short amount of time, but it's also... My CPA told me this the other day, and I've known it, but the way he said it was kind of a light bulb for me. He said, that's the only asset you can buy. And after two years, sell it and not pay anything in capital gains. Right. He yeah. said, there's nothing the else. Primary no, residence. Not yeah. cryptocurrency, not your 401k, not stocks, not mm-hmm. gold and silver. I mean, you, you're supposed to even like report baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> if they can tax it, they will. Yeah. Real estate, two years. You live there two years, whatever you make up to 500,000 mm-hmm. for a married couple or 250 if you're single, tax-free. There's nothing else like that. So yeah. so Ben, I so appreciate you coming and having a conversation with me, man. Love it, man. And uh, you're a really close friend of mine. I'm glad we're doing life together. And I appreciate you being here. Thanks,
1: Chris. Love being here.
0: Thanks for watching the Money Hole Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a comment.